Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, intercessory prayer. And in the last several episodes, we've been talking about Romans 8, 26 through 28, and how he misapplies that. We are going to continue on that topic today. Now, before we get started, Bob had sent me a statement a few weeks ago that we never got to address. It was something that he had written about Dutch sheets. And in the episodes that we're recording today, which will be a couple of them, what he says in that statement will become very clear. So to get us started, would you like to share what you wrote? Sure. Thanks for, for uh, bringing that up. We got going on other things and never got to the statement. But I asked myself a question to preface the statement. Why, after all of these weeks, page after page, application after application, he gets the exegetical work wrong? Right. Almost every time. Mm -hmm. So how can you be so consistently wrong? You would think by accident you'd land on the original author's intent at some point. Yes. But it rarely happens. Okay. So I wrote this statement. And it uh, doesn't just apply to Dutch Sheets. We're using his book. But the same thing would apply to the Word of Faith or many of the other apostles and prophets who come up with the same readings. Okay? Okay. Why is Dutch Sheet so consistently wrong? There must be an underlying theological bias or unbiblical worldview to account for such poor exegesis in case after case. The answer is found in his bias toward knowledge and power to gain the desired outcome and against God's sovereign grace, which cares for his own. Sheets' approach is based on knowledge and technique, that is, gaining special revelations and applying the right process to gain the hope-for result, whatever it is. The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God and his providential care for his own sons and daughters. The other likely reason for such consistent misinterpretation of biblical passages is a clear bias toward the temporal and a dismissive attitude toward the eternal. The idea that the outcome is not even seen until the end, when God brings rewards and punishment, does not weigh on his understanding of the prayers and hopes of the Christian. Our true hope is defined biblically in terms of conformity to the image of Christ and eternal glory rather than having better circumstances in the here and now. Wow. That's the statement that I wrote, and uh, I sent that to Jessica. So it's a good place to bring that idea out because it really comes out very clearly in this section on Romans 8 that we've covered lately. Yes, and what we're going to talk about today really demonstrates that because he's going to take a section of narrative about Jacob where we clearly see 
God sovereignly and providentially guiding him where he needs to be and turn it completely around and use that as a technique for prayer. Well, <laughs> right. So you have you have knowledge and technique and a uh, number of times he talks about not getting the results you're looking for. Yes. Well, so that's what made me think about writing that statement down. Because if you read all of Romans 8, especially the very end of it, as it goes to the very end of the chapter, the result that God's looking for is conforming us to the image of Christ, keeping us safe through every attack that comes against us, height or depth or, uh, you know, principalities, all the different things that are out there, and bringing us to glory, conformed to the image of Christ, and that's our hope. So this yes. idea of, and I didn't get the results I'm looking for, is temporal, it's not eternal. Right. And this is about God's intercession for us, as we've said many times, and the word of faith, NAR, and others of the that version of Christianity are looking for results now through something they learned, a technique they applied, and the outcome they got. Yes. And that's, that is so foreign to Romans 8. I, I Honestly, it's just, where does this, I, that's why I made that statement, where does this theology come from? Right. Well, then stories aren't the word of God. You can't prove things by stories, especially stories that can't be verified by anybody. Well, that's another issue, and we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see that coming up next time. Yeah, the the stories, I was in the charismatic, I'm not just an outsider throwing rocks at something I don't understand. I spent five years, as I said, in a charismatic community. Yes. Okay, and that's literally what the meetings are about, stories. Right. Somebody come in and God told me this, or God did that, and I got a revelation, or God told me to ask somebody for some money and they gave it to me, and the stories, the really great stories were always told by the top leaders because they had more weight. Okay. The ordinary person really didn't have a lot to say, and they would try to chime in and maybe have a story. But when the top guy came in, his stories blew everybody else's right out of the water. Right. And so then you have a status, elitism, hotshot apostles, prophets, although... We didn't call our leader either of those. But the fact is, the top people always had this anointing from God, and they heard from God, and we can only hope to gain that status, perhaps, if we hang around long enough. All right. So coming back now to his application of Romans 8, 26 through 28, on page 113, he says this. And he's talking about when we don't know what we need to pray for. He says, this is when the Holy Spirit wants to help us. He will lead us as we pray, perhaps revealing things about the situation to us or bringing scriptures to our minds so that we can pray them in the situation. He will certainly help us by empowering our prayers. But another way he wants to help us is by literally praying through us as we pray in the Spirit. Now, looking at Romans 8.26, 
can we make that application that the Holy Spirit wants to pray through us? And how would you respond to that? Well, let me read the passage. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we've mentioned this before. It's not clear that these groanings too deep for words are trying to give us a revelation so that we know conceptually with words, the only way we can describe something, what Romans 8.26 is talking about. Right. And, and, it's, and he's the one praying for us. He's interceding for us. Right. It says for us, not through us. For us is entirely different than through us. Right. And we're not denying that the Holy Spirit doesn't empower the prayers of the saints. Right. We're not saying that. We're saying this isn't what Romans 8 is talking about. Yes. And so we're, we're waiting for something. Look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Romans 8, 25. Yes. Well, that's that statement I read. That's why I wrote that. It's, if you look at all of Romans 8, read it to the end of the chapter. We're not waiting for the desired result. We're praying that we get a car that doesn't break down. Okay. Or to be able to move somewhere. Or it's legitimate to pray for everything. But that's not what this is about. Right. This is about what he is promising that we don't see, but we eagerly hope for, is described right here. And we've, we've read it, but what is it? What is it that we desire that hasn't happened and we don't see it and we won't see it in this life? Romans eight twenty nine. It says, for those whom we foreknew, he predestined, become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And we talked about the golden chain. Those he justified, he glorifies where that is. What shall we say to these things? Says God is for us, who is against us. He delivered up his son for us. And then a whole list of promises that none of these things will keep us from the love of God or destroy our relationship with God. And in the end, it says, verse 38, 39, let's put it in context. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will separate us from the love of God. So God loves his sons and daughters so much. He gave his son for us. The present distress that we're going through, the groanings, the Holy Spirit groans within us. We groan for conformity to the image of Christ. Not, well, I didn't get the result I'm looking for. Right. I didn't get what I asked for and this didn't happen or that didn't happen. No, this is a big view. This is the broad view of God's eternal purpose in Christ to conform his children to his image and keep us safe all the way to glory. Yes. And so we're going to lay that aside and try to get some revelation so that we can tell God what 
should happen till we get to some temporal situation. So that's why I said that. What is about the eternal in the scripture, the word of faith, NAR, um, latter rain. Well, I mean, there's so many different versions of this out there. Okay? Right. Gets turned into the temporal every single time. What yes. we get now or how pious we are compared to other ordinary Christians or really rather pathetic, at least so it seems. Absolutely. And we don't, I mean, we all have times where we don't know what to pray for, but that doesn't mean we need a better spiritual technique for determining that we need to rest in the sovereignty of God and pray anyways and trust that the Holy Spirit is doing his work in us and through us. We know that because it's a promise. Yes. See, as we've said before, Romans 8 is very clear in its purpose when you see it in contrast to the ending of Romans 7, the Paul's wretched man speech. How right. Okay, so the answer to the wretched person who can't get results, and even there it was perfection that we're looking for to be conformed to the image of Christ, why are we still sinful, is God's promises, not our learning to gain secret knowledge from the Holy Spirit about specific things so that we do this or that rather than the other thing and pray this or that rather than the other thing and get the results we're looking for. Yes. Now, and one other thing that I've noticed is missing in this whole book is the idea of providence. And that's going to come up in this next section of the book. We are going to talk about Jacob. And let me just kind of get started with what he says here. He says, now this brings us to Paga and the definition mentioned earlier, to light upon or light upon by chance. The setting where this word is used this way is in Genesis 28, 10 through 17. This passage is describing Jacob's flight from Esau after conniving from him his birthright. After traveling all day, Jacob needed a place to spend the night because the sun was set. Verse 11 says he lighted upon a particular place, and there he spent the night. Notice that Jacob had not predetermined to spend the night there. He didn't choose the place in advance, but was guided by chance because the sun was set. And he goes on to say this place was a very special place, Bethel, which means house of God. Now, was that by chance or was that by providence? Well, he has it at Talisad. Maybe he means seemingly, I'm not sure, but it's a clear demonstration of God's providence to get Jacob to the right place at the right time, uh, despite what all had happened. Yes. The conflict with Esau. So you have... I looked that up. This, this place goes back to the covenant that God had made with Abram. Okay. Earlier in Genesis. So it's very significant to the covenant. Right. And so the covenant that God made with Abram, Abraham, which is very significant, a key event in salvation history, referred to throughout the Bible, including in the New Testament, that God appeared to Abram. God chose him. God chose to give him the promises. And 
at the key point where the covenant's ratified, Abram's asleep. And a yeah. theophany goes through the pieces of the sacrificed animals, and God makes a covenant unilaterally. Yes. He didn't need Abraham to figure out these things. He did it. Okay. Now, later in chapter 22 of Genesis, he believed the promise, and when he brought Isaac up to sacrifice him, that God will provide. Yes. Lamb. Okay, so which we know points to Messiah. So really, this reference to the gate of heaven in Bethel is a good example of God's providence, which is exactly what Romans 8 is about. Okay. So what I don't understand is why doesn't he see that as what you learn from this rather than uh, he wants to help us if we and pray through us, we learn how to do it. Right. I'm not sure why that particular narrative helps his his version of what you learn from Romans 8. I don't see, to me, it confirms what I'm saying about Romans 8. Yes. God gets us to the right place at the right time uh, by his grace, by his providence, to fulfill his promises. And it isn't based on us getting it right. Jacob was pretty uh, good at not getting it right. Yes. Well, then, in, in fairness to Dutch Sheets, he he does go on and say what was simply a place to Jacob chosen by chance was the place to the Lord and sovereignly chosen by him. It was there that Jacob had a mighty life changing encounter with God. Yes. So on the one hand, he mentions God's sovereignty, but then he goes on to these encounters and continues to build his false theology after just lighting upon, as he would say, what was correct for a moment. Well, that that understanding here that God got Jacob there despite Jacob is correct. Yes. And so therefore, we're not saying that she never gets it right. He does here. Right. The context and where he's going to go with this would make you think, that it's up to us. Right. But he's right about this. So Jacob didn't figure it out. Jacob ended up there. Yes. And that's really a good point. But then why not build a whole theology on that rather than God, uh, the Romans 8, as we said earlier, the claim is that we have to help. God, we have to do our part if it's going to happen. Right. Now he goes on in, in discussing this Jacob narrative, says, like Jacob, who was not guided to the special place by his own reasoning or understanding, we are not always able to be directed in prayer by ours either. Consequently, we often feel weak and anemic in our ability to produce results. At times, it seems the process is hit or miss as though we have to land or light upon the situation correctly by chance. And it isn't really hit or miss because what is by chance for us is not to our helper, the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paga also means bullseye. They use this word this way in Israel today. Close your eyes and fire. 
when we allow him to intercede through us, just as he sovereignly guided Jacob to the right place at the right time, he will cause our prayers to light upon Paga, the right person or place in the right way at the right time, bringing forth the will of God in situations. And that's right good. Okay, is this even a, a reasonable application of the narrative of Jacob? Well, Jacob was was shows that God keeps his promise to Abram. Yes. Abraham. And despite Jacob. Right. And okay. it seems to me that he's just spiritualizing that whole passage to make an application that is never intended in the text. Well, there's a unique thing going on with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. And that's so clear from the Old Testament. And it's about making a people that will ultimately lead to the Messiah. Okay. Okay. That's very clear in Genesis. Yes. And in our lives, what we learn from Romans 8, by analogy, our part in it is that God is bringing us to glory because the whole purpose of Messianic salvation is prefigured through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and this uh, Bethel, house of God, the ladder, and this is the hope of eternal life and conforming to the image of Christ and the fulfillment of all God's purposes and promises. Okay. Okay, so Romans 8 is about conforming us to glory, all of which is possible because of Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Creator, the Messiah, the Sinless One, the Lamb that God did provide, as uh, Abraham mentioned Isaac in uh, Genesis 22, that's what this is all about. And so is Romans 8 in the sense that we're sons and daughters being brought to glory. So okay. to make the application, so we're looking for what? Some temporal situation to get straightened out, which, yes, he cares for everything about us. And we bring our request to him. Yes. But this is a bigger context. This is a bigger issue. This is eternal glory. Right. This is being separated from the love of God. This is relational. This is hopeful that we will be brought to glory. We will be conformed to the image of Christ. God's plan will come to pass, not the allowing God to do certain things so that we get results. Yes. Because the result is conformity to the image of Christ. Results, plural, about things that we would like to see happen is not the point of the various passages that we're looking at here. Exactly. Jacob was not looking for Bethel. Right. He was looking to get out of his troubles he was always in. Yes. Let me just quickly say this. You you mentioned as you read this, we allow him to intercede through us. Romans 8 doesn't say we allow him to intercede through us. It says he does intercede for right. us. Right. And that's a promise. And it's right. not dependent so, on our ability to figure out what we need to pray for or find some spiritual technique to get results. Right. We've talked about that before. So here, 
God is giving us hope and a promise that is so important and it's not going to be thwarted by us unless we become totally apostate. Right. the faith, God forbid. Yes. Reject Christianity altogether. And people, I've written about that. I know people that say, well, now I'm an atheist. Right. That we used to know. Well, you're not going to be conformed to the image of Christ by renouncing Christ and being an atheist. Okay. But for Christians who are hungry for God to be working through them and using them and are sensing hopelessness because they're been focused on the temporal too much, the Romans 8 is to give us hope is not contingent on us getting it right. Okay. And he's interceding. He, the Spirit, is interceding. We don't have to do something uh, special to allow that to happen other than to believe his promises and to pray as we, Christians do. Right. He says he, here, he says, he will cause our prayers to light upon the right person or place the right way at the right time, bringing forth the will of God in our situations. But there, who was it exactly in the Bethel narrative that figured out the right place at the right time? It was God himself keeping yes. his promise to Abraham by getting Jacob to that place. Right. And we can count on that. Amen. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. I'm Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.